Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. I'm Dave, one of the student ministers, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's good to be here and to work through these words. They're hard, but they're good words, and we need to hear them. There, were, there once was a man who said this. He said, the minute you start thinking you're good enough for God, you've lost the gospel. The minute you start thinking you're good enough for God, you've lost the gospel. Anyone want to take a guess who said that? Anyone? I heard something. Phil, do you know who it was? Yeah, it was Phil last week. Well done. Shame on you for not remembering. <laughs> the minute you start thinking you're good enough for the gospel, you've lost, you think you're good enough for God, you've lost the gospel. Well, fortunately for us in the coming two weeks, Paul shows us exactly why we're not good enough for God. I'm sure I say you want to spend Mother's Day today. It's going to be confronting at points. But please come with me as we explore this, because we don't want to lose the gospel. First thing Paul shows us today, in righteousness, God's wrath is revealed against humanity. In last week's passage, we saw that God's righteousness has been revealed through the gospel. Righteousness will receive, uh, receive by faith alone in Christ alone. But now Paul shows us why it is that we need this gospel. And it's because God's revealed something else. Verse 18, we hear, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. We need the gospel because humanity is under wrath. Uh, next chapter, we're going to see God's future final day of wrath. But here, notice it's actually it's a present thing. God has revealed his wrath. We're going to look at that a bit more in the second part of our passage. I think sometimes people think uh, God's wrath is something that is incompatible with who God is. You know, if, if he shows wrath, it's, he can't be a God of love. Or wrath, it would mean that he doesn't exist. But nothing's actually further from the truth. You see, it's because we have a God of love it's because we have a God of righteousness that he deals with the wrongs in this world. And while God's wrath, it's a good and it's a just thing, it's a horrible thing for someone to experience. And Paul's showing us that God's wrath is against all humanity, every single person. Verse 18 again, he says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness, against all unrighteousness of people. Godlessness here, it stresses that kind of vertical aspect of sin. It's treating God like he doesn't exist. Now, I heard an acronym the other day for sin. It was, uh, shove off God, I'm the boss, no need for you. I think that kind of, that captures that dynamic pretty well. Unrighteousness, then, it's, it's how we see this play out in all of life. It captures all the sinful behaviors and thoughts um, that flow out from this position. And God's word makes clear that ever since Adam and Eve first rebelled against God, all, you, all humanity has participated in this unrighteousness and this godlessness. And so all are under God's wrath. But is, is it fair? It's a question we hear often. I think it's a reasonable question. Is it fair? Because as you look around the world, people don't often seem like they're just actively rebelling against God. They seem indifferent. Or lost? Is it fair for God to show wrath to all humanity? Paul thinks so. In verse 20, what does he say? He says, people are without excuse. 
Why? Well, let's have a look at how he gets there. Verse 19, he says, Since what can be known about God is evident among them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. How has God shown it to them? Let's keep reading. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. Through his creation, God reveals himself to humanity. He reveals his eternal power, his divine nature. Paul's not saying here that we receive a saving knowledge of God uh, through creation. Ultimately, that's found in Christ, in the gospel. That's why Paul calls us to, to take this news out to the world so everyone can know this. But Paul is saying since the beginning of time, God's creation has revealed himself to humanity. His power, his glory, his majesty, his character. Psalm 19 captures this reality. The words are on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Creation declares God is powerful. His thunder and lightning, the wind and the waves. Creation cries, God is good. You know, his, his world provides everything we need to be sustained. But more than that, it gives us the opportunity to enjoy beauty, to express creativity. Creation says, God is brilliant. It's evident in the order and complexity built into this world. You know, from the, the smallest particle to the greatest galaxy. God is brilliant. God's clearly communicated himself through this world. And the implication is that he deserves the worship of every single person in this world. But in verse 18, how does humanity respond to God's revelation of himself? By their unrighteousness, they willingly suppress this truth. You see, all people instinctively know something about God. And actually, it's the reason why we still see good in people and in this world. They're reflecting God's goodness in some way. But people bury this knowledge deep down. And so instead of glorifying and giving thanks to God, we see verse 21, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. I think the outcome here of senselessness, it, it helps me understand what I see in the world. As I see my non-believing friends or family, you know, they don't, they don't wake up each morning, I don't think, most of the time, look at the creation and say, no thanks God, not today, I'm going to do my own thing. They don't actively think that. See, having, having lost sense for God, they're just going about living. They don't realize how horrible it is to be in rebellion against God or that God's present and future wrath is on them. I'm sure you've seen this too, and it's, it's tragic, isn't it? God reveals himself through creation, but humanity suppresses this reality. People are without, without excuse. And so God's revealed his wrath against humanity. And he's, he's right to do so. Uh, to put it, put it in the opposite way, he'd be wrong not to do so. Because he's a God of love, he's a God of righteousness. 
It's not a particularly positive view of humanity, is it? It's not a, it's not a popular view. It's not a common view in the world, I don't think. I reckon by contrast, you know, most people have got a pretty optimistic view of humanity. Interesting, interestingly enough, they kind of identify a problem, but they think humanity's got the solution. Uh, have you heard of the kind of man in a hole story plot? The idea is, it's classic in heaps of films, you know, like Castaway, Shawshank Redemption. The idea is the main character, he starts, everything's going well, something happens, he gets in a hole, and then somehow, somehow he gets out of that hole and things are looking good in the end. I reckon people tend to think about humanity like that. They recognise, interestingly, something's wrong with humanity and have a crack at giving a solution. You see this in the sexual revolution narrative. Humanity was in a hole because of sexual repression and moral codes. What's the solution? Well, as people can fully express their sexuality, we, re we, um, we achieve our full potential. We flourish. And you see it in expressive individualism, you know, that kind of idea of be true to who you are. As people express their true selves, they, they achieve their full potential. You see it in consumerism, the solution there. What do you do? You acquire more stuff, and as you do that, you reach happiness. Of course, what's the problem with each of these narratives? They're godless. God isn't a part of it. And so what ends up happening is there's a distorted view of reality and there's this inflated sense of what people can actually do. Today, we're actually seeing a different storyline for humanity. Humanity is in a hole, that's true, but they can't get themselves out of it. Instead, as God's wrath revealed on humanity, things go from bad to worse. And this is what we see in the rest of our passage. Keep coming with me. It's hard, but we need to hear these words. In wrath, God delivers humanity into depravity. So having diagnosed the problem of God's wrath on sinful humanity, Paul doesn't then move on to a new idea here. He actually, he zooms in on the problem and he shows us just how devastating God's wrath is and how desperately we need saving. And he does this by showing a pattern. What happens is humanity rebel against God by exchanging a good for a bad and God responds by handing them over to this. Let's first look at how humanity exchanges things. Firstly, uh, humanity foolishly exchanged the immortal God for mortal creation. Verse 22, we hear, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This imagery here is picking up on idol worship. We might think of places like Exodus 32, where God's people, they turn away from their immortal God to worship the golden calves. But of course, we see this kind of disordered worship today in all sorts of ways. You know, take that consumerism narrative. As people pursue their hopes and dreams through materialism, actually what happens is money becomes the object of their worship. People love money because they think it's a means to happiness. They end up trusting money because they think money is the thing that's going to provide that happiness. So what do they do? They serve money. They do whatever they can to get more. By replacing God with anything, let alone money, is a foolish thing. Because money is such a terrible and unpredictable master, and it mocks our creator. But things get worse. 
You see, after exchanging the creator for creation, humanity then turns to one another and they make a second exchange. Verse 26, we hear females exchange natural relations, sexual relations for unnatural ones. Verse 27, in the same way the males also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Now before we go on, I want to be clear about what Paul is and isn't saying here. He's not saying homosexuality, that behavior is the worst sin. He's not saying homosexuals are the worst people. And he's not condemning someone who has same-sex attraction that's unwanted, uh, but has, has chosen abstinence because they want to honor God. If, if that's you or you know someone that's like, they're a hero of the faith. But he is saying homosexuality, homosexual behavior, he's given prominence uh, to that here. Why is that? I think it's because it's such a clear example of how humanity has rejected God's good ordering in this world for a disordered uh, way of living. Right back at Genesis, God made man and woman to be in one flesh in marriage. And, and sex there, it was supposed to be something that the man and woman could delight in, something that could bring them closer together. And sex was something uh, which would result in children who could be raised uh, in a family that was committed to one another, a loving and committed relationship. It's, God good, it's God's good purpose for this world. And what we see is homosexuality, the behavior, it cuts right across that. Coming back to the sexual narrative, a sexual revolution narrative, it's not hard to see how humanity has gotten this so wrong, is it? Freedom to express sexuality, it's not the thing that gets us out of that hole. Instead, it just shows how deep in the hole we really are. So how does God respond to this rebellion? And we saw it right in the first line of our passage today. God has revealed his wrath. And now we zoom up and we see exactly what this looks like. The key and repeated phrase that we hear is God delivered them over. It's a punishment of reciprocation. It's the idea that God says, you know, if this is what you want, then this is what you get. It's important for us to be clear on this too, I think, because as, as we look at this dysfunction in this world, it is a sign of humanity's rebellion against God, but it's also a sign of God's wrath on humanity now. Both are true. But this week, I was at a cafe wrestling with this passage, and I, I overheard this conversation uh, on a table next to me. There was a guy and girl talking. I wasn't eavesdropping, I don't think. They were just really noisy. So that's what I'm telling myself, at least. And the guy, he was lamenting about his friend. He said, oh, I don't understand my friend. He's gotten everything he wanted, and he's depressed. And I just wanted to go down, sit next to him, I didn't because I'm a chicken, but I just wanted to go down and sit next to him and say, of course he's depressed. He's gotten everything he wanted. That's the reality we're confronted with here, isn't it? In God's wrath, he delivers us over to our sin. First, he delivers us over to a depraved heart. Verse 24 and 26, Paul says that God delivered them over to the evil desires of their hearts and degrading passions. And what does that lead to? It leads to those sexual acts we talked about before 
which cut right across God's good purposes. Acts which dishonor God, but dis- dis- degrade the person who does it. And then after that, he delivers them over to a depraved mind. Verse 28, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what's morally wrong. It's actually at this point, uh, there's, a, there's a break in Paul's pattern. You see, up till now, humanity's been exchanging goods for bad, and God in turn has been delivering them over um, to their hearts and minds that are depraved. But now verse 29, uh, people aren't exchanging anymore. What happens? They just fill with unrighteousness. It's like they've already made those key decisions. They've exchanged God for idolatry. They've exchanged good ordering in this world for bad ordering. And now humanity reaps the results of that. They just fill with unrighteousness. It's, it's interesting language uh, to fill. You know, what do you do if you want to fill a big sponge with water? You squeeze it, you put it in a bucket of water, you release it, and it just it soaks in every nook and cranny. We're seeing humanity is actually like that sponge. They're perpetually just filling up. But it's not water. It's unrighteousness. And it, it just highlights why that UBU movement is just so wrong. It misses the point. You know, which part of being true to ourselves is going to get us out of this mess? Should we be true to ourselves in verse 29? Should we be evil, greedy, wicked, envious, murderous, quarrelsome, deceitful, malicious, gossips? Should we be true to ourselves in verse 30? Slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Maybe verse 39 will get us out. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Being true to ourselves doesn't get us out of the hole. It's just another sign of how deep in the hole we are and how much we deserve wrath. And yet, what does humanity do? What does humanity do in verse 32 when they know that it's something that deserves death? Well, they don't just do it. They applaud it. And we see that today. You know, Mardi Gras celebrating sexual immorality, drunkenness being a key sign that you're a true Aussie, abortion laws are symbolizing progress in human rights and freedoms. Seeing this kind of celebration of sin, it shows just how senseless the mind of humanity has become. But looking at, looking at that long list that Paul gave us, it's not hard to see how sin hasn't just marked this world, but it's marked us as well. Which is interesting, because do you know, do you know what, why one of the reasons people don't come to church in the first place? They think it's a, it's a place where perfect people go, or at least people who think they're perfect go. But Paul, Paul's showing us here that's just not the case, is it? We are impacted by sin too. We could look at any item on this list. There's 22. I'm sure you're pleased that we're not going to go through all 22. And then there's the inventing evil as well. You know, that's, that could be limitless. But we are going to look at one, uh, envy. Envy just means that you covered something somebody else has, and that, that can end up leading to discontentment for yourself and resentment towards that person. We can see it and how we envy other people's circumstances. You know, there may be single people here and they envy someone who's married. There may be married people here and they envy the freedom that single people have. 
Some parents may look at the relationships that other parents have with their kids, just think, oh, they've got it all together, or their kids respect their parents, or maybe their kids have gone on in the faith and mine are struggling. There may be envy for other people's financial circumstances or good health or leisure time. It could be anything. And that's just envy. There's 21 more things on this list, and it just shows this inescapable reality that we are a messed up group of people in a messed up world. We're deserving of God's wrath. How are we going? So, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to sit in this reality, isn't it? Um, but I think it's, it's right for us to grieve. It's, it's right for us to, to grieve how God has been dishonoured by people. It's, uh, it's right for us to grieve how sin impacts our world and disorders our world and how it's impacted us as well. We're in a hole we can't get out of, Paul's showing us today. We can't get ourselves out of it no matter what this world tells us. And so we desperately, we desperately need God, not just to show his wrath, although that's good and that's right. We need him to show his mercy and his power to redeem. So praise be to God, because that is exactly what he gives us in Jesus Christ. And that's where we finish today. In Christ, God's powerful gospel is being revealed. As Paul showed us in verses 16 and 17, we looked at it last week, God's righteousness has been revealed through his gospel. A righteousness that we receive all humanity can receive by faith alone in Christ alone. We've seen today humanity's depraved exchanges. But in stark contrast, this is God's great and merciful exchange. Jesus bears the wrath for our unrighteousness. He bears it on the cross, our unrighteousness to him. And in return, God declares us to have perfect righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' righteousness to us, that is a great and merciful exchange. It's remarkable. It's incredible. No matter what, what has happened in our lives, how we are weighed down by sin, for those in Christ, God doesn't say we're people stuck in a hole. You're just stuck in the hole. He doesn't call you a sponge soaking in unrighteousness. Instead, if you've trusted in Jesus, he says, you are one of my righteous ones. It's the most wonderful gospel. It's news that we should be eager to share with this world. Because we want everyone to be a part of this story, don't we? A story that doesn't suppress the reality of God as our creator, deny the reality of his judgment, doesn't ground our hope in ourselves. It's a story of God's grace and his mercy. And so it's a story of real hope. A hope that, as we'll see later, Paul tells us in chapter 6 means we are now no longer slaves to sin. We're alive in Christ. A hope that in chapter 12 means we can actually worship God now as the Holy Spirit transforms our minds to know God's good and pleasing will for our lives. It's a hope we'll experience in full when Jesus comes back in the new creation. 
where we'll be completely freed from the futility of this world, and together we'll express a perfect worship of God, our Creator and our Redeemer. It's a good reason to be optimistic. We're a messed up people in a messed up world, but we have a merciful God. We have a powerful gospel.